This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 253. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Color Pencil Podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hello, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and this is the Colored Pencil Podcast. I am so excited to welcome to the show today, Tracy Frine. Now, Tracy is a colored pencil artist. He also teaches. Uh, he's a portrait colored pencil artist. He's been doing this a long time. Tracy, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. I'm so glad that you're able to do this today. Thanks so much for coming on here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's let's go back and tell me a little bit about what got you started in colored pencil. Actually, I pretty much got started back in the late 90s. I was okay. working for a design agency and the owner of the design agency wanted to come up with some sort of project for the designers to sort of like an incentive project. And you had to come up with a piece of artwork. And uh, our office is right above a gallery here in Chicago. And um, we all came up with a piece of artwork and we presented it to the gallery owner and he judged the artwork and gave out some prizes. And I think there's a $500 reward award for the first prize. Cool. Yeah. And I did a portrait in colored pencil on colored paper and it got first prize. And nice. uh, so that was pretty much my first award working with colored pencil. And I look at that piece now and see how, how bad it really was <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny must not have been that bad um so so that's interesting and it was on colored paper huh it was on colored paper yeah it was on a brown colored paper um so i was just was it monochromatic my... oh good no it wasn't it was in full color yeah. and i was okay. trying to figure out how to do full color on colored paper and working with the colored paper and colored pencil if the paper gets too dark, the colored pencil just soaks into the paper and uh, you have to keep on creating more multiple layers to bring that color up. And I wasn't aware of that. So everything looked kind of colorful, but kind of on the, all on the same level. Um, so I kind of learned the hard way, you know, how to use colored pencils. <laughs> what what made you decide to use colored pencil in that particular case? I was I was playing around with some oils and I was playing around with acrylics. And we're our office is about two blocks from uh, an art store. So I so I went to the art store to find out uh, some get some supplies, and I ran across some colored pencils. And I thought, well, I'll just give this a shot. It's easy to use. It's easy to pick up and put down. It's not very messy. And um, I'm really a drawer. I'm not a painter. Um, so painting wasn't yeah. really part of part of my DNA, but drawing always has been. Um, so I tried the color pencil and it just kind of resonated. And, um, I just kind of liked the way the pencils felt in my hand and, and laying down the color and get instantaneous color. Um, yeah. and there was less mess to it. Okay. So take us back then. That was, what, what did you say? Was that late eighties? Is that, I'm sorry. That was, a, that was a, the late nineties, probably like 1998, 99. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so then take us back then. Um, what, so. You said you're always a drawer and you're working for a design agency. So talk. let's talk about your secular career um, and then we'll talk about uh, this later uh, stuff you've been doing in colored pencil. But you've been working as a designer, right? For So how long did you do that? 
I when I graduated from college in 1982, 82, I came to Chicago and went door to door with my portfolio to package design uh, agencies. Um, if you walk into your grocery store and you look on the shelf, there's somebody who designed that artwork for that package, somebody who had to create all of the the regulatory charts for that package, somebody yeah. had to lay that whole package out. And um, that's what I did. I worked for a package design agency and um, I was a production manager. So the designers would, would come up with an initial design and I would roll that design out to all the panels of the package. And um, there's a lot of legal requirements that you have to have on a package and you have to know, you know what those requirements are and what size to make them and where they're located on the package. Um, and we worked with clients like Quaker Oats and Keebler and um, Crafts of the world. And um, so I probably got my my feet wet really fast um, yeah. working with some pretty high-end clients. Oh, that's really cool. So it so you mostly were in that role as production manager. Um, it, it, so you weren't creating the art, really, were you? I mean, you were you were helping was, in the Go ahead. Well, I would I would actually create the the art. Um, oh, okay. The designer came up with a design or sketch something out. Somebody would have to kind of cr be able to draw that and be able to create that, draw it. Um, this is even before computers, and then after computers came around, you had to know how to draw it on the computer. Um, mm -hmm. So I was really pretty much in a production role where I started okay. managing the artists that that did all that, and I just managed all the projects. Um, it wasn't really later on until very late in life, even after uh, I pretty much retired from the agency world that I started doing the designs myself. Um, and I have one client here in Wisconsin, uh, General Breeze Honey, and they have products in shelves in Mariano's and Whole Foods and 50 other stores. And I'm doing the whole redesign for their whole, all their honey products. So, um, oh, I've, so I've done the designs myself. I've done from the design all the way from the production yeah. to work the printers to uh doing press runs around the world um uh for the different clients so you're doing some of that right now is what you're saying I'm still, yeah yeah i'm you're still doing that doing right it. now yeah okay. well okay. I, I when i um right before i retired i was on site at craft headquarters here in chicago and i was taking the digital artwork from the design agencies that they created for mac and cheese uh-huh uh, with maybe the Star Wars characters on the front of it. Um, if you have ah. kids, you probably recognize a lot of that stuff in the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. So I would I would collect that artwork from the design agencies and take it through uh, crafts, different regulatory people, their marketing people, their DNA people, the RNA uh -huh. people, um, and then work with the printers and the separators. And that was in 2017, uh, up until 2018, I decided to, you know what? it's time to retire. I want to do my artwork full time. So when I retired in 2018, I did my, my portraits full time, but I still had my hands in the package design world. And, um, I have a friend that I used to work with who has, is a package structural designer uh -huh. and I, he'll come up with projects with different clients, like pharmaceutical clients. And yeah. I'll do the artwork for the, for the packaging. Oh. Like, uh, we have a client now that we're working with that has a product out there. It's a testing product, and um, he came up with a structure. And mm -hmm. I'm right now doing some illustrations of uh, the step-by-step -step illustrations on how to take this whole component apart and repackage it, package it up. So ah, I still got my you. hands in it. I just keep it enough where 
it's still fun. I just yeah. don't want, yeah, I don't want to make it. Uh, you don't want all the daily pressures. <laughs> no, not anymore. I've, I've had that all my life. I just right, right. So are, so are you doing that with traditional media or are you doing that on, on a computer now? Uh, I'm doing that drawings. on a computer. Yeah, I'm doing that okay. on a computer with, um, with Adobe Illustrator. Yeah. I still, I still do some sketching on paper, especially with, with my artwork, with my fine artwork. I'll sketch stuff on paper. It's, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, when you're working with professionally, um, time is money. Uh, right. So you're trying to get whatever you need on, on right on the screen as soon as possible. Um, yeah. It's easy to, to, to edit also as you're working on it. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Very cool. So you've been at this then for a couple of years doing, for the most part, I mean, doing uh, color pencil artwork now in retirement, right? Yes. You excited about that? Has that been a lot of fun? Well, it's actually, I'm busier than I've ever been in my life, I think. Yeah. Um, even Pretty working cool. on this full time. Um, yeah. I started, you know, I started this in oh, late nineties and joined the color pencil society of America. And that kind of got me involved with color pencil and, and all the different color pencil artists. And, um, as I was working full time, I just kind of worked on this as, you know, as a hobby, um, worked on it for fun. Um, and it wasn't until I retired in 2018, I decided just to do it full time. Um, but I decided what I want to do is I need to set some hours up. So I decided that mm -hmm. get up in the morning, you know, I have a, I'm about a half a block from Starbucks. I'm over, always over there every morning, get my mm. coffee, get something to eat and be mm -hmm. back in my studio at 9 a.m. and work from 9 a.m. to lunchtime. And then after lunch, uh, work until about three o'clock, three thirty, and just consistently working on either a drawing sketches. Um, it could be working on promotions for my website or for uh, workshops that I teach, but it has to be related to my fine artwork between between nine and three. And I have to make sure that I keep that kind of schedule. Um, mm -hmm. That's what kind of mm -hmm. that's what kind of helped me along where when I was doing maybe one, two, three, maybe four at the most drawings a year. Um, mm -hmm. I was cranking out like during this uh, whole um uh, Corona uh, virus uh, mm -hmm. pandemic and staying right. at home. I'm working on drawings now that, oh, drawings that would take me a whole year to do. I'm doing in two months because that's all I'm wow. doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like I'm here. Uh, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> no, it, yeah. But if you're so skipping I just, uh, Starbucks, I mean, <laughs> you can. Well, my, is that is my, that one still open? Right no, there by my, yeah, it's closed right now. I there's a yeah. drive through that you have to go through now on yeah. uh, a few other blocks away, but that's where I go. So, um, so yeah, I'm since I started doing this full time and really busy at it, and um, yeah. kind of see a little my a progression, my work uh, go a little bit further, and that's kind of what I want to do after each series is get just a little bit better um, uh, and crank yeah. out some more drawings. We are going to talk about your process and, and teaching and your role and all of that. But before we do that, you hit on something very interesting, and I want to talk about it just a tad bit more. That is this whole idea of a schedule. And you're, you're talking about drawing, but then you also talked about some of the marketing side as well. I mean, you talked about mentioning, you know, you mentioned uh, working on your website and doing some different things with um, marketing pretty much. So 
Or do you split those up? Do you say, okay, from nine to 12 though, I'm only going to draw. Uh, and then after lunch, I'll work more on the marketing or, or is, are you a little more loose about that? I mean, I'm just curious. It, it's a, it, you know, it could be very loose, but it may be yeah. something that's time sensitive where, um, yeah. I get a notice that, okay, I'm working on a workshop and the people who are paying me to do the workshop, we need some images, we need a write up, uh, we need right. this kind of documentation. So I'll work on the business side of it, I guess. Um, I'll get that taken care of. Um, if I'm working on drawings and I'm getting them shot, um, I want to be able to get them documented, shot, or scanned in, and then I need to get them up on my website. And so I'll have to work on my website to get all the new drawings posted on there and put the dimensions in. And uh, all the information that goes with those drawings have to be uploaded on the website so the website stays current. Uh, right now, I, I'm kind of switching over to a new website where it's a more commerce website where people can actually go besides buying the uh, the original drawings, they can go and actually buy prints on demand so they can buy prints right off my website too. So I'm kind of gravitating to that. So, but do you, do you feel like, um, I mean, so you're, you're churning out a lot more work now that you, uh, have limited options of going somewhere, doing yeah. something might as well draw. Right. Do, so when you, when you look at that and you compare three to four a year and now you're able to get, um, you know, several done, within uh what a couple of months do you think that that has more to do with uh just increased drawing time or is it maybe clarity or focus or something i don't know i'm just wondering about because i'm thinking about that for myself too it's like man I, I think i'm with, getting more done too well i think it has to do with um a lot has to do with i have the time to do it um, yeah. it also has to do with right before uh this whole stay at home ordinance. Um, yeah. I had a photo shoot. Um, with my process, I do in the limited amount of sketches. Um, really, my process starts out with a little story I have in my head. I may be driving down mm -hmm. the street and I come up with a story or an idea of, and then I do some sketches um, with my That's ideas. Fascinating. Yeah. And sometimes it may have to do with a poem that I hear, a poem that I see, or a or line that's going through my head. Wow. And I want to be able to try to illustrate it. Um, oh, that is, that is so cool. So I'll do like a number of sketches, maybe six or seven sketches. And yeah. from those sketches, what I'll do is uh, come up with maybe a background that those that, that portrait will be up against. Um, and then I'll even go and start looking for outfits for clothes um to put on my models really yeah <laughs> so you dress the model you're like no oh, you will wear model. this yeah. oh yeah okay, I dress okay. The model. well I but, dress you, but you talk about you talked about the background so you're yeah. when you're doing these sketches you're you're primarily or it's a, a big part of your concern is the background the background well a lot of times if it's a, if, okay. if it's a narrative portrait world i'm actually having um it's just not a plain background or a flat background. There may be something like um, my drawing tether where I have a woman, she's on a ledge and she's just leaning over a ledge, just getting yeah, ready yeah. to fall. Right. And right. Um, so I had to kind of think of that background too, or even create that background. And um, I don't really have a ledge to put my model on. So right. I go in and I actually create this background in Photoshop. I'll create, a cliff oh. i'll create clouds um okay. and then knowing that during my photo shoot 
I'm going to have her situated or standing or leaning to a point where she's going to look like she's on that ledge. So I already have the backgrounds <laughs> already pretty much drawn out in Photoshop. So when I go to my photo shoot um, with my model, I have those drawings or I have those sketches there. So I know how to position my model. So this way, once I get to the photo shoot, I have maybe a 24 page PowerPoint presentation of the lighting, the model, oh. even the hair and the makeup. I'll bring a hair and makeup artist in at times too um, to work on my models. Um, but you've, you've organized all these notes and everything inside a PowerPoint just so you yeah. can have everything together in one spot, I'm guessing. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, plus, when I get to the photo shoot, I'm, it's not my photo studio. I'm renting it, renting it from a photographer. So. Uh-huh. If she's charging me $400 an hour, I have to make sure that I get in and out of there within the hour or if I'm over, it's a little bit, it's it's okay. But so I have to be as organized and professional as possible. And it's really not that different than what I did years ago in my professional life where, okay, you know, time is money. Um, I've been on yeah. photo shoots before professionally and, you know, you have so much time to get stuff done. And if you're not, right. if you have all your organization then uh it's going to cost more money for the photographer so when i go into uh, the photo yeah. studio i make sure i have everything all set and ready to go i even have racks of clothing for the the models to wear um my wife she's a where are you uh, buying these clothes i'm, I'm well, just curious <laughs> my wife is a is a wardrobe stylist and she, oh there that. we go and she'll work with ad agencies on commercials on oh, wow. print ads. And you wonder if you see a print ad, where do these people get these clothes or who dresses these people? And that's yeah. my wife. She'll dress oh, these people. Oh, that's so cool. Our dining wow. room will be full of racks of, of, of a photo shoot that she'll be attending. And it'll be nothing but every yellow shirt in the city that's... of Chicago she has on a rack at different oh, sizes. Wow. So there'll be times where I'll have her help me dress my models and I'll give yeah. her an idea of what I'm looking for. And she'll say, okay, I know where we can get to this. I know we can get this outfit. Um, not quite sure what you wanted, where you're going from here, but I tell you what, I know what a better dress that she could wear for this, for this shot. Yeah. And she'll buy them at Nordstrom's, um, gotcha. Nordstrom's rack, every store in Chicago, um, because they know her with this is what she does. So yeah, when she, She's working and she's buying these clothes. She has to promise the store that she'll keep 20% of the clothes. So she'll, she'll have to buy uh, 20% of the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of clothes that she buys. Right, so she'll right. go and she'll she'll go to Nordstrom's and pick out outfits for me and be able to return them um, with no problem at all. So I'll have come up with maybe three or four outfits for the models to wear and um, she'll have. I was starting to think about that. It's like, whoa, that's quite a time and money investment in all of this. Well, (laughs) okay, one of the the series that I just finished up um, with a model, um, her name is Sophie, and Mm -hmm. she has a a dress on. And -hmm. over that dress, she has a corset that's um, has some Victorian uh, needlepoint work on it. and. We bought it or we rented it from a corset shop that my wife knows the owner and the owner actually makes corsets for Madonna. And this is one of the corsets that was in her shop and we rented it, um, gave her a rental fee for it. And, but that corset itself retails over $800, just that corset. And then the, the dress that she was wearing in this shot, 
um, was a $2,000 dress that she rented from a, uh, she borrowed from a boutique that she works at once in a while. Um, ah, so, gotcha. so yeah, there's a lot of money invested in the, into the clothes that we, you know, of course we get to return. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's cool then. And you know, I mean, it's nice that you've got that, that little tie in there with a wardrobe stylist that's under the same roof. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's and then, cool. you know, there, there's times where, you know, it's always helps to have a, a hairstylist and a makeup artist too, because you walk into a, mm -hmm. a studio and if they have no makeup on at all, or the makeup's not right for the shot, um, mm -hmm. I guess I always, I just try to make sure all my ducks in a row and I, and cause I, my end product is the reference photo that I used for my drawing. And I want to make sure I have everything already taken care of. So I don't have to rethink something or something looks off or, oh, yeah. you know, the hair is, boy, I wish I would have put the hair differently. And, um, um, this way, yeah. you know, you got to pay for these people, but it's, it's, you know, it, it's like the part of the process, um, that I work with. I, yeah, I love that. I mean, it's it's a pay me now or pay me later, and and yeah. you're you're doing a pay me now. I mean, get yeah. get everything ready ahead. Make your life and your work a little bit easier when you sit yeah. down. You can just enjoy the process. Yeah, you know that's one thing, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. That I've noticed with new stu new students, especially in portraits. I'm guessing it happens in everything, but it's like they'll they'll come to me and they'll be like. You know, I, what I'm going to do, I like this I like this pose, and I'm going to put this other person in here, too, from this other picture, and then I'm going to turn their heads a little bit, and I'm going to make them smile more, and I'm going to open the eyes up more. And it's like, wow, I would never do that. <laughs> like, you have just – you have become Photoshop if you if you can do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense, doing it ahead of time. One of the problems that I have is I'll come up with sketches or I'll come up with poses for the models – yeah. And I'll say, okay, I got these five poses and this is what the models will do. So I'll get into the photo shoot and realize when it's too late that, okay, this model can't get in this pose. Her arms are not long enough or <laughs> she, she just doesn't have the right body structure for this pose. It or, worked in the concept art. Yeah. What's going like, yeah. On here? <laughs> or I had, I had one model that um, she was 16 at the time and I had her in some poses and I thought, well, these poses aren't right for her. She just looks she's just too young for this type of pose or, or this yeah. her body structure for this. Um, so I end up having her just kind of talking her through a few things and I had her just kind of do what you feel like you want to do. And all of a sudden she put her hands up in front of her face and she framed her face with her hands. And that was a picture that came up with the, I've, with the drawing. I've seen that one. That's yeah. how that came about. Oh, wow. That is something. See, now that I love that because it, that one wasn't real planned then. I mean, it, no. it just sort of happened, but, but you, you found what you liked. I mean, you found a, an in-between kind of shot. That's, that's so cool. And a lot of these models that I use are just normal people that. Okay. That's I what see, I was going to ask. I may see them at Starbucks or I may see them at, you know, uh, around the, the block around the, you know, Chicago <laughs> and just think, okay. Oh, that's an interesting looking person. And, okay. So how do you um, approach them? Because this, this is something I go through all the time and I, and I'm constantly trying to figure out how not to, you know, how to ward off that creepy feature, <laughs> that, that sketchy, yeah. Mr. Sketchy's coming over yeah. here and he's going to ask you to, to pose. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, so, yeah. and I try to do it when my wife is there or my daughters are with me or something like that. But sometimes, like you say, you see them out and you're like, I got to have that person, you know, that yeah. person's the one I want. Yeah. Uh, how well, do you do that? What do you, what do, you well, do? Well, hopefully I have a business card on me and I'll approach them yeah. and, and explain who I am. Uh, this is my business card. Right. Um, 
I do narrative portraits and I yeah. don't give them a lot of information. Um, just kind of introduce myself. And I said, you know, I, a lot of times the, you don't the models propose marriage, use, right? Right. Away. No, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, I, I just say, you know, the models that I use are just people that I, that I meet on the street. And I said, here's my cart. Um, look at my website. You can see the yep. drawings that I do. Um, I'm very easy to find through social media and, uh, how it relates myself in my work. Um, oh, sure. Sit right. imposing for me send me an email and we, um, we can set something up. And then usually what happens is when they get back to me and say, Oh yeah, I'd love to pose for you. So I've seen your work before. Love your work. Uh -huh. um, I'll actually then have a conversation over coffee and it's really kind of an interview conversation because yeah. um, the models or the images that I put in my, in my drawings are usually people that on the outside um, look normal, serene, beautiful. But in the inside, they have this dark inside that um, they're trying to hide from. And I'm trying to portray that in a lot of my drawings where it could be this beautiful outfit that they have on in this beautiful face that they that they are showing in this drawing. But you can see behind the eyes that there's something dark and, and um, uh, dangerous behind those eyes or they're suffering from um, like most of my models or most of the people that I draw are suffering from some sort of mental illness. Um, Does that so, come out then in the um, over coffee, I guess? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we're looking for that. Yeah, it comes out over coffee. And usually like 99.9% of the time I'm right. And I'll mm. talk to them and start extracting some information. And they'll volunteer that information. And mm. um, uh, so I kind of portray that uh, and bring that in, out into my drawings. And um, so we'll have a conversation and uh, then I'll go over. Later on, we'll have a second conversation over coffee where I'll start going over the different poses. Um, yeah. Do you want and give them a set of poses if you want to play around with these poses at home and try these out. So when we get into the uh, studio, um, we know what you can or, or can't do. And right. um, by the time I get to the to the photo shoot, um, we've had emails, texts, photos passed back and forth. We yeah. pretty much know exactly what we're going to do in the photo shoot. Um, because these aren't professional models, so they're not at very much at ease right. walking to something like this. And then there's usually, a big difference in that. You, you have had professional models, right? I, yeah. I have. I've yeah. I've I've hired both. I've had non-professionals and professionals. And, and tell me if you experience this. The the biggest problem I have with non-professional models is they want to talk the whole time. <laughs> oh no, I've had this like, problem. Oh, you, you need yeah. to you need to not talk. <laughs> <laughs> I need your mouth to stay still. You know? <laughs> no, that's not the the problem. I, I haven't had that problem with the the non models. Really? I, the problem I've had really? with them is that they they're too they're too stiff. Well, they, they have that out. too. Yeah. But I shoot. We may shoot like maybe almost a thousand shots. Maybe. So are you are you ever shooting them yourself, or are you always having yeah. a professional photographer? Oh, no, I, oh. no, I'm shooting my, shooting myself. Um, but I've you're just renting the studio. There. Yeah, I'm running the studio, so I have the lights, the backdrop. I have everything there that I need. Yeah. I have a professional photographer that I have on there um, to help me out. But yeah, they're all oh. my they're all my ideas and, and all my concepts. Um, I've shot outside on my own. I've shot, um, you know, inside my place a few times. But for some reason, just inside of a professional studio, the lighting is is a lot oh, yeah. better. Oh um, yeah. And then sometimes I'll even rent the camera, so you know. Right. I have a decent camera, and but it's nothing like the cameras that photographers have. So I need oh, rent right. you know, camera Absolutely. too. So yeah, but I find that the uh, the non models 
they're more mm-hmm. timid and and they're they're yep. not as loose. Whereas when I mm-hmm. this last series that I'm working on now is a total uh, nude series, a figure series, and I ha- actually hired a professional model for that, a, a, a mm-hmm. fine arts model. And I found out that working with a fine arts model, everything just flowed so easily. And yeah, you don't even, have to coach them through everything. No, they already know no. things. They know poses. They know they know how to uh, place their hands. They they right. their head tilt. Everything. Yeah, yeah it's so so different. Uh, it's night and day. You, there is so much more coaching that has to go into using non professional models. Uh, but but that's that's still fascinating. It's so. Do you? Let me ask this. Do you ever, are you ever just using relatives or any, no. maybe your wife or no, no. nobody like no, that? I'll, well, I used to draw my wife years ago when we were first dating. I, I drew mm-hmm. my wife. Because, you know, a lot of portrait artists, I mean, that that's what we're stuck with. We we usually, you know, you know, a lot of them that draw themselves, right? Yeah. They're, the, everything's themselves or it's their spouse or their children or, you know, whatever, you know. So, the, the, and this is interesting. You're, you're going outside of that because you're calling this a narrative portrait. So what makes, what makes that different then than just, you know, another portrait artist? Well, if you'll see a lot of portrait artists that are just traditional portraits, traditional poses, um, it might be, you know, a side view or profile view. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty much the typical type of poses. Um, right. My, my narrative portraits usually have a story behind them. And um, it may be a story that I extract from the model during one of our, our interview se- sessions. Right, um, right. One of the drawings that I did, um, watching my tether disappear, um, had the model on the ledge just get ready to tip over on the ledge and the story behind right. that was um she was getting ready to get married and um she was going to leave her whole life her job all her financial security uh-huh. to pursue her dream as an opera singer she started uh-huh. taking lessons at the lyric opera house here in chicago and that's what she wanted to do but the problem with her is that she has stage fright and she just clamors up freezes up on stage. And so the drawing that I depicted her was on this ledge, getting ready to to make that plunge into that new life, not knowing what's going to happen, if it's going to work out or if it's going or not. Um, And when I got her in the photo shoot, um, I had her staying on a box and shot her just getting ready to tip over off that box um, to make it look like that she was actually on that ledge. Um, mm, but that, yeah. but that was a story. That's a story that came out of that drawing. Um, so it's not really a typical pose. It's a pose that uh, it's a drawing right. or a narrative portrait that has a story behind it. Um, uh, and I have stories like one of the stories I have is um, a young woman. She's a she's depicted in one of my drawings. And when I met her, she was uh, she was a substance abuser in high school. And mm. he went through rehab and got out of rehab and, and uh, got out into the workforce and started college. And so one of the drawings that I had her um, was um, as she was walking out of this field, um, kind of walking back into life again after being secluded in, you know, in, you know, drug rehab for, oh, wow. for six months. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, all the, the drawings that I do have a, a certain story behind it, um, kind of portrays a little bit of the darkness behind my, my subject matter. Uh, kind of shows you that um, 
that even if you look at the skin tones or some of the skin textures of my drawings, the skins aren't perfect at all. Um, you may step right. back or you may see a, a JPEG of my drawing <clears throat> and see this beautiful figure, this beautiful face. But when you actually see it live, you can see the blemishes and the scars and the sunspots on yeah. the skin. And well, that's I'd what like, adds to the realism, I, I feel like. It adds to the realism, and it actually, it's it's sort of like the blemishes of the soul that come out, and, mm, and mm -hmm. the blemishes of your soul are, are really causes that true beauty in you. Um, where I see a lot of portraits where everything is just too perfect. Well, people aren't that perfect looking. Um, and even sometimes my models, as I'm drawing them, um, they may have scars or birthmarks that they don't pretty much want to see in the drawing, but you know, sometimes that actually makes a drawing or um, it may be a tattoo that um, yeah. is really significant in that art or in that, uh, that person's life. And a lot right. of times I'll get a history of, you know, what's that tattoo all about? Um, what's your reaction after they, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm supposing maybe they're okay with you drawing it by then, or do they see it afterwards? And, uh, no, a lot of times, I, a lot of times I'll send them a work in progress on what, what I'm okay. working on. Um, but Do a lot of times... they bristle at the fact that you're including something that they consider less no, than attractive? No? Okay. No, no, they really don't because, you know, as when I bring these models into the photo shoot, um, I, I treat them as professionals. I pay them. Yeah. Uh, most people right. don't pay their models. I pay the models. Um, besides paying the models for... Mm -hmm. uh, um, more than they'd actually get an hourly wage, you know, mm -hmm. modeling for the Art Institute or whatever. Um, right. I pay them a modeling a, a wage. And then I also, um, if I sell that piece, I give 10% of that piece back to the model. If I sell. Oh, that's that piece, very nice. I give 10% of that, the proceeds back to the model. I also. Uh, that's a nice gesture. When I get these pieces shot or scanned in. Um, I get a set of artist proofs for myself. Mm -hmm. I give a set of art, those artist proofs to the model. So every shot, every drawing that I do for the model of that model, I give them a, a small proof of it. Yeah, I do. I do that part. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think the more we can do for, for models, um, the better. So I just have a quick question about suddenly watching my tether disappear. So on that one, did you use a fan or anything to blow yeah. the, the garment? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's yeah, really neat. We That's use cool. a fan, and um, at one time, when I was trying to set it up, I actually had a band, a big, huge rubber band around her waist to pull her. Um, <laughs> I wondered she was about that, to, to allow her to lean out like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. But it, 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 wow. The band didn't work out very well, so I got rid of the band and I just shot her just as she's getting ready just to tip over. But yeah, we had a, yeah. We had a fan going. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was a fun shoot. Um, yeah, it looks like it. And, it's and a very thing. compelling piece. Very it, compelling. That story, though, does it get lost? I mean, you told it to me. Where? How do people enter that story? I mean, when you're just looking at it, we're making up our own story, right? That's right. But there's actually a, that. Oh, okay. Because you yeah, you actually have a story in your head, though. Oh yeah. About what oh, yeah, you're every, portraying. Just about every drawing that I do, there's a story that I have in my head, and there's sketches yeah. to portray that that drawing. Now. If that story that I have in my head doesn't come right. out into that drawing, I don't really care. Um, okay. But there has to be a, a basis, a narrative or a story behind that drawing to get that drawing or it's just going to be a typical 
fine arts pose. Do you um, ever hear a story that somebody maybe at a sorry, I keep cutting you off here. Uh, the artist reception, maybe you hear someone come up and say, this says to me, blah, blah, blah. And do you ever hear that and say, wow, I kind of like that even better than the story I had in my head. Well, <laughs> Does that ever I happen? have I'm just curious. It, hap it happens a lot. Actually, what, what, okay. what really happens most of the time is people see a whole body of work and mm -hmm. <clears throat> they'll come back to me and say that your work resonates with me. There's something about, um, your subjects in your, in your work that, um, I really feel like that's me in there. I, I'm going through that yeah. same thing. And, and here's my story, um, uh, which yeah. may be different than what's in the portrait, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, it's still a story of something that they're actually fighting with inside mm -hmm. um, or a mental illness that um, they're fighting mm -hmm. with that nobody knows or no, their friends don't know about. Right. Um, and I've kind of worked this, the whole mental illness aspect started back in like 2013, 2014. Um, I had entered a, contest um, on Art Slant, and it was from the Illinois uh, Health Alliance, um, uh, and what they want to do is come up with um, drawings for that depict mental illness. Mm -hmm. and they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to have somebody write a story about mental illness, about how they're fighting with mental illness, or they know somebody who's fighting with mental illness, and that what they wow. want to do is actually come up with, select some artists that go with those uh those narratives so they picked a a, a author out in california <clears throat> and they selected me as an artist and paired us together and she came up with a story about her mother uh it was called my new mother and it was a mother who was on who has suffered from parkinson's disease and oh, it was a gotcha. it was a story about her mother and the home that her mother lived in and she'd go and visit her mother and every time she visited her mother it'd be a new person. <clears throat> so it was oh. something that she had to deal with. Yeah. So, so I depicted um, the drawing of her mother. Um, her mother was an avid swimmer, lived out in California, did a lot of swimming in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I depicted her mother drowning um, underwater. And as she was drowning underwater, there's this octopus tentacle wrapped around her waist, pulling her down. And the tentacle kind of represented the Parkinson's disease as it as it was dragging her lifeless body underneath the, the, the water. Um, so then I started, thought that was interesting, the concept. Uh, and I, so I started uh, creating all my work kind of based off of the mental illness and uh, mm. mental illnesses that people do actually suffer to the yeah. point where um, on Thursdays, I volunteer with a group of artists at Bridgeport Art Center here in Chicago. And there's a studio called Project Onward. And these are artists that have suffered from mental and physical disabilities. And it could be from autism to uh, any other uh, mental disability. Um, and they're screened. Um, they're brought in. They have mm -hmm. their own drawing table. And they mm -hmm. come up with artwork that they, that they could be a painting, could be a color pencil oh, wow. drawing that right. they sell in their, in their gallery. And the nice. proceeds go to the the artists, so the artists can be sustainable artists. Um, oh wow! So once, so once a week, I go and I help them, the, the artists. <clears throat> it could be, I could be painting their gallery. I could be spackling and painting the gallery, cleaning the place up because there's going to be, you know, an open house that that week where the art center is opened up to all the studios. Yeah. Um, it could be sitting down with an artist um, that uh, needs help with working on a concept or a drawing. 
there's a number of artists there that are color pencil artists. So they kind of team me up with those people. So besides wow. working with the color pencil artists, I supply them with their color pencil art, uh, with their color pencils and their supplies. And um, it could be things that I just buy on my own or I have extras mm -hmm. of. Or it could be samples that I receive from the Color Pencil <clears throat> Society of America um, mm -hmm. that I that I pass on to these artists. So um, it kind of helps them out, too, because they have a place to go uh, several times a week. Um and to work on their artwork. So the mental oh, illness cool. kind of aspect of my drawing um, kind of resonates um, in my work and also uh, in my volunteer life outside of uh, my drawing. So, I mean, other than getting that start in art slant in this path of mental illness, it, I mean, is there is there something else even more personal uh, as to maybe a reason why you're very interested in that i'm just curious is there if there's well, I, some other I've been reason trying to, well i've been trying to <laughs> figure that out myself <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> and you know i don't know maybe it's more evident now because we're all quarantined but you know right. I, I hear about all these people they're quarantined they're going crazy and, and they're they're bouncing yeah. off the walls and it's like right really i'm fine i've been i, yeah. I feel like i've been I've been trained for this my whole life. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, I think all of us as artists, it's like, oh wow, this is this is perfect. Yeah. Uh, for us. I mean, it's like uh, we're right at home, you know. This is what we want to do. This is how we want to uh live and and be. I mean, not permanently, but I mean it's just nice because you always feel yeah. like you're begging time off to get over to the studio and to actually sit there for hours and create something, you know. I guess yeah, I so. guess I'm I'm really I like to a T. I'm an introvert. Um, yeah, you know I, I have friends that I that I go work out with and I do things with, but we're mm -hmm. all I think we're all about the same type of people. Where the guys that I work out with, we have a we have a, a a credo, and it's like, okay, don't invite me over to your house on a Sunday afternoon for a barbecue, and I won't invite <laughs> you over to my for my house for my daughter's birthday. You know, can we disagree on stuff like that? It's, yeah, that's fine. You know, we, we, does that we make you together? feel anxious inside when you have to no. do those things? Like, do you have anxiety? Do you have do you have children? Um, yeah, I have children. Yeah, yeah. You have children? No, I. Did, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have anxieties over that. <laughs> it's just that, you know, it's like once you get there, it's like okay, uh, it's about time to go. Can home. we go now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go now. And my friends and I are that way too. We get together, we like to work out together. And that's where we yeah. do all our socializing at the gym. And then after the gym, it's like, okay, this, you know, yeah. we go out yeah. off our own way. But um, right, right. I think it I think this had to do with when I was in high school on a Friday night when everybody else was at a basketball game. Uh, I was yeah. sitting at home and I'd have a stack of illustration board um, cut out <laughs> number by 17. And I would be doing political characters. Yeah. And I would spend the whole, you know, Friday night working on political characters or. Oh, that's so uh, funny. When I grew up, I was like a lot of young guys growing up. We were all Mad Magazine. Um, yeah. We love that magazine. I used to, you know, right. copy illustration techniques from Mad Magazine and learn how to right. shade Mad Magazine. And yeah. <laughs> so I kind of like, I kind of, as a, an artist, you kind of really have to be an introvert because you got to learn how to spend a lot of time by yourself and especially working <laughs> on drawings that could take hours, hundreds of hours a day. Right. You, you got to like being with yourself. Exactly. You have to, you have to at least uh, love to be alone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and be comfortable with it. No. So I, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. I told my wife, it's like, 
It's like, you know, you know, it, it does cause me some anxiety when I go to these, uh, little get togethers. Um, and she goes, this is your family. I said, no, it's, that's your <laughs> side of the family. That's your side. You're like, it's still family. Like I, I know we, it was all lighthearted, but, but, uh, there's an element of truth to that. It's like, my goodness. It's like every time you turn around, there's something. Um, but, uh, so Anyway, so have you always drawn portraits? Like even when you were like in high school, were you drawing portraits then? No, um, I was drawing everything under the sun in high school. I, uh, okay. When Still I was in exploring. high school, when I was in high school, I never took high school art class. Um, mm. What I had done was um, I was working on the school newspaper and doing. Okay. This is during the presidential election of 1970 something, uh, 74 maybe. Um, and it was Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford and mm, yeah. George Wallace all running for president. Mm -hmm. um, so I started doing all these political cartoons for the school newspaper. And then at the same time, I was doing the cover of the school newspaper. And the librarian from my high school said, you know, um, you should look out for these this couple that I know that in our neighborhood. They teach drawing and painting in their basement. And, you know, I talked my oh, parents wow. into sending me there on, on you know, one night a week. It was like on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And they, they were retired commercial artists and oh, wow. they had all the easels and things from some art school, supposedly that was in Des Moines years ago and they put it in their basement. So when they retired, yeah. they started teaching art to students. And um, I was working on charcoal. So I do charcoal drawings um, of still lifes that they set up and it maybe started uh -huh. out with just plain white cone or round uh white ball to, to create you know learn how to create your shadows and right um, so i started working on that and then they start you know introducing you to still ice yeah so i'd work on that and then um sometimes on saturdays i'd come in to, to finish a drawing but on saturdays were the days that the little kids of grade school kids came in and working on painting and I couldn't believe that the paintings that these little kids are coming up with, they're gorgeous. And wow. I asked the instructor, how can you teach these kids to paint like this? I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And she said, because kids, they don't draw or paint what they think they see or what something should look like. They paint what they see. Um, so they don't have a preconceived notion of what something's supposed to look mm. like. What they're, what they're supposed to. So with a little bit of training, um, a little bit of guidance, um, it's easier to teach, you know, small kids. Yeah. So I started, you know, taking art classes um, at night and working on still lifes. And when I got into college, you know, they give you still lifes and they give you um, live models. And, yeah. um, and after college, I think I started working on portraits, especially, you know, with the kids, you know, drawing my kids yeah. and my wife and things like that. And right. uh, still wasn't really a portrait artist until probably uh, maybe back in the late or the mid 2000s maybe 2008 uh. 2009 i started concentrating more on portraits um and then it's 2013 i started working on um color portraits um on drafting film and decided that the portraits is kind of the place where i wanted to go but um why did you abandon color well it's probably right in 2013 there. when i was working on color okay. I was working on drafting film. So I was learning how to work on the color on the front of the drafting film and working yeah. on the color on the back of the drafting film. And I came up with some portraits that I liked, yeah. but I wasn't really wowed over them. And I didn't think there was anything, anything special over the, about them either. Um, and I just felt like there's something missing from these 
portraits of motion or something. And so I started studying and reading up on uh, creating emotion into your work. And I realized that the uh, the way to create emotion into your work is to cut down on your palate. Um, so mm, very limited palate. Very limited palette. So instead of making a very limited palette, I just cut it down to black and white. Yeah, let's go monochromatic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's and I think it's because I used to do a lot of work in charcoal. So I love charcoal. I love pencil. I love black and white. And um, even in the graphic design field years ago, before there were computers, everything that you drew was in black and white. Uh -huh. And then it was converted into color or they separated the colorist that. later, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had black and white process in my mind. So I started working on black and white and then uh, on film. And I still couldn't get the emotion that I wanted. And I wanted something that was just more, not more painterly, but I just didn't want the same regimen of the same strokes over and over and over where it got to be, um, it was almost like it was a chore after a while. And mm, color pencil yeah. for people can be a chore. It's just yeah. the same stroke over and over and over, maybe right. in a different color. <clears throat> it can get yeah, pretty Yeah, boring. exactly. You're going over that face again for the fifth time because it's a fifth color you're using yeah. that's yeah. that's fascinating so okay this this is really cool then um i didn't know that was a reason why you uh so for those that may not know uh, tracy works mostly now at least in this monochromatic style and and we are going to talk about your technique i want to i want to really talk a lot about that it's very unique and different but this these are black and white they look like black and white photos uh with some textural elements in them uh, they're very beautiful to look at. You don't want to look away because you keep seeing little pieces of things that you're you're like, why, why, wait, wait a minute, I'm seeing some texture here. And then you're floating in and out of like this enjoyment of the realism, but then also noticing the textural elements. At least that's that's my experience when I look at it. Um, a lot of times when I'm looking at art, and I and I enjoy some of the realism. There's something that breaks it down. There's some. I'll I'll look at some. I'll notice something. I'll, my eyes will gravitate towards something, and I'll say, "Oh, they didn't quite render that real well." And uh, and then I focus on that. I try not to, but I, I focus on that a lot of times. And and then I can't enjoy other things. But when I'm looking at your art, Tracy, I'm I'm able to enjoy everything because it's just drawn so well. I mean, this is top caliber photorealism and then there's something else for my eyes to enjoy and that's all this textural Texture. stuff mm -hmm. i see brush strokes i see all this other stuff that adds to the artistic um story that i that i'm seeing here so let's let's talk about this process you're on drafting film and you're talking about you use a subtraction method so talk to us about that I remember back in college, there was a process that we used in charcoal where you take charcoal, uh -huh. either charcoal dust or uh, very soft charcoal, and just cover your whole page with charcoal. Just get and then you, down. yeah, just get some down. So now you have a background. Mm -hmm. And then you start drawing with your kneaded eraser. And I love the kneaded wow. eraser because you could form it into making it as small and tight as possible. Um, right. So you actually start subtracting that your highlights and, and creating your midtones with subtracting with the charcoal. So when I started this process, I wanted to do something in the monochromatic. Yeah. And I started thinking about, okay, maybe we should go back to charcoal. And I, well, you know, I like color pencil. So how can I make this color pencil 
look the same way as or the same process I did in charcoal. I think, okay, I've got to break down the color pencil into some kind of solvent. That is so funny. Yeah, they do look like charcoal pieces. Sometimes I'm looking at them like, are, are we sure this wasn't charcoal? <laughs> I mean, that's seriously, that's pencil. what I thought. Do you, do you get that from time to time? I'm guessing you do. I get it from charcoal or I get it from graphite. Um, ah, gotcha. But I only, yeah. use, I only use a black color pencil and I don't even use a white color pencil. I may use a white color pencil if I have a little glint of the eye that I want to hit. Yeah, But yeah. all the white areas in the drawing are actually the film showing through. The ah, film is, okay. is semi-translucent. It's a right. matte finish to it. So it's, it's almost like a pearlescent. Um, yeah. So when you draw on it, your whites come out to be like this pearlescent, uh, creamy white. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Unless you want to add a little glint of white in the eye or maybe highlight uh -huh. the hair, I may use a, a white color pencil. But everything is done with a color pencil. So during this nice. process, when I tried to come up with it, I thought, okay, yeah. somehow I got to break down the color pencil. So I thought, what about a color pencil stick? Now, Prismacolor makes a color pencil stick. It looks like a pastel yeah. stick, except it's a color pencil stick. Same product as a color pencil right. has on it, but it's in more compressed form. So, mm -hmm. that, okay, let me break this down. So, I started scribbling on the film with that stick. Okay, now how do I break this down? So, I thought, well, this is, a, it breaks down with the solvent. So, I took turpenoid and I put it in a small spray bottle and I sprayed it onto my film. And then I took a brush and started brushing the whole background in. So I had this texture painterly background um, on the film. And then I usually let it dry or you dry it with a hair dryer. It always seems like it beads up, though, to me. No. Does it not? No, not at yeah, all. When I use Gamsol, I thought when I used Gamsol before that it, it just sort of beaded up on the surface well, of, you, of my could. drafting film. Yeah, It could. The Gamsol, like people ask me, what do I use? And I said, well, I use Turpinoy because... Um, huh. Gamasol and there's some other ones that I've yeah. tried before have too much. And they don't work the same. Oh, they don't work the okay. same. So this actually, this actually dries really fast. It doesn't give you, a, mm. give you this, this, uh, oily film on top that you may get with oh. a Gamasol. Gotcha. So I, so I use turpinoid and, um, it comes in a blue and white, either a small bottle. Yeah. Or, yeah. I've got or some. Opaque, yeah. Opaque jug. That's yeah. what I use. So. I decided to break it down with uh, using the uh, the turpinoid because it, when it dries, it dries nice and flat and dries pretty much even. So right away, then I had this background that's this texture background over the whole uh, sheet of uh, film. Yeah. And now what I can do is I can start pulling out all my highlights. So I started working around with the kneaded eraser to pull out the highlights, and then mm -hmm. I found the the Tombow eraser, the most Tombow mono mm -hmm. erasers that had the little uh, cartridge in it yeah so i started using that and so what i would go in when i started drawing is i'd start with that tombow eraser and start pulling on all the hottest highlights with that tombow eraser so they're like pretty much all the way down to the film and mm -hmm. then i then i either use a tombow eraser or the the needed eraser and start pulling away more of the tones um to create maybe a mid-tone Right, dark mid tone, so it's almost like peeling an onion. I'm scraping off with that eraser. I'm scraping off uh, little by little um, to get from what could be like a ninety percent black that's already on the film to a seventy or sixty or fifty or thirty or ten, whatever I need. Um, yeah, so yeah. I'm really kind of, I'm really kind of blocking out um, the face or the, mm -hmm. the figure. Um, doing it that way, um, and then once I get things blocked out in my 
a total drawing with those eraser. Then I can go back in with um, the Prismacolor of Verithin, which uh-huh. is like the Prismacolor, except it's a thinner point. Right. I go back in and I start putting all my detail um, with that. And I find with that very thin black pencil, it blends very well into the background. So if I want to hide something or hide a stroke, it hides very well in the background into my texture. Um, uh. And then I find with the very thin, I can get up to, I don't find it, to, I get it to 100% black. I think I only get it up to maybe like a 90 and 95% black. So sometimes what I have to do is work on the other side of the film and add more pigment on the back of the film gotcha. um, to pump it up. And still, it yep. may not get 100% black. So that's when I all pull out the uh, Prismacolor Premier, which is a softer pencil. Mm-hmm. And if I need something uh, black, you know, 100% black, um, I'll start using the Premier on top of the, my film with that. Interesting. So, so mostly to, black. Mostly what you're it, using. It's, black. it's all black. Yeah, all black. And and once in a while, depending on the skin tone, if it's, if it's a soft skin toned face, especially yeah. somebody who's young and there's not much blemishes, right. um, I may take uh, like a, a gray color pencil, a uh, very light gray um, for some yeah. of the skin tones. Um, but I don't do the okay. whole skin tone with it because it flattens it out. Um, I, yeah. what, I try to, what I try to do is I try to make sure that I'm hitting from... Uh, a zero percent tone mm-hmm. to a hundred percent black. So I try to get the whole gamut of tones in my drawing, because I find that with a lot of color pencil artists, they come with these beautiful maybe color pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no total value. It's just every pencil that I have in my color pencil box I'm using. So I'm coming up with this beautiful color pencil drawing, but I don't realize there's no total value to it. And that's why that's why I think a lot of color pencil artists are missing is a total values. Um, well, and that's so what do you what do you mean by that? I'm sorry. Just can you well, can you say that in a different way? I mean, if somebody's totally brand new to color pencil art, how, how would you explain that in a different way? That there's no tonal value to their drawings. It's almost like their drawing is a paint by number where they assign areas assign a pencil to a, a certain area and there's may, not a gradation in the mid range at all is that what you're talking about there a little bit there's a lack there's a yeah there's a lack of uh, gradation of there may be a lack of there may be a lack of gradation in the light mid-tones or the middle right. mid-tones or the heavy mid-tones but there's always diffuse there's always this yeah. edge always a line yeah. and an edge and stuff i got you yeah I've, i see or, that or they're all about the same tones and they may jump from, they may have their hottest highlight and then a few yeah. tones gradating from that hottest highlight. And they may have their darkest tones and a few gradations from those tones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's thousands of tones, you know, between all of that, oh, yeah. um, that people right. kind of miss out on. Um, mm-hmm. And when I, with my drawing, I can't skip that. I have to have as much tonal value in that drawing to make it look as, as realistic as possible. I totally get that. Totally agree. This is something that I kind of harp on a lot, but here's what I've noticed. So I've seen drawings from students of yours that have come away from a workshop of yours. And and I am dumbfounded. There's one person in particular that I'm thinking of in my mind. Now I'm going to call him out and embarrass him, but (laughs) but it wouldn't embarrass him. He probably would like it, but it was it was like night and day. When I looked at his early drawings, 
and then I see the one that he did in your workshop, or it may not have been done completely in the workshop. I think he did part of it afterwards, but it was phenomenal because of what you're just now talking about. Right. All those mid-range values, the tonal shifts were subtle, and that is phenomenal. And I think it's something, just like you mentioned, it's missing in a lot of artwork. You. I it, when I teach it, I, I teach you how to see, and it's like mm -hmm. when I come when I start with my brand new students. If I'm working on a one of the classes I teach at Little Street Art Center is beginning drawing, and uh -huh. people walk in there at all walks of life. It could be a retired attorney, um, could yeah. be you know retired whatever, and they feel like they can walk into an art studio and learn how to draw because you know. I'm an attorney. I can Everyone draw. can do I, that. I should, yeah, yeah can do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a smart yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So how hard could this be? And they find right. out how hard it really is. And yeah. they get yeah. frustrated after the first class. And because right. I kind of take the class's temperature after the first class. How do you guys feel um, yeah. about your first class? Um, do you feel more confident? Um, what happens when you walk into the class and you set up a still life and people start to draw, they only see basic things, not even basic mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So you teach the students how to break things down to basic shapes. And then those basic shapes, you look at the shadows, you start breaking the right. big shadow up that they can see, and you start teaching them how to see all the little shadows that are inside that inside shadow. It. Yeah. And then where does that shadow come from? And the mm -hmm. same thing when I teach people how to draw hair, um, mm -hmm. was one of the things that I've always had a hard time drawing and I, and I, now I love drawing hair, but the same thing with <laughs> shadows and hair are, are, are work the same way. Yeah. They have to come from somewhere like the hair. Mm -hmm. I draw hair. That piece of hair has to be able to trace back somewhere in the head. Same thing with a shadow. Right. When I have a shadow, that shadow has to be representative of something. Now, is it? So you think it's just pieces? awareness is, is it's awareness. Part? It's okay. awareness and learning how to look and how to look further than you normally do. And as I find with my students after the first class, second class, fifth class, they yeah. see a lot more and they're yeah. more confident. So it's a matter of teaching you how to see. And then with my technique that helps students in the class, I can, when I introduce my technique to them, it's like, I'm not telling you to draw this way. This is just an exercise. If you want to use this for an exercise to learn how to see, for me, yeah. it helped help me learn how to see and how to uh create my values and make sure mm -hmm. those values are, are in my drawings. Um, so as I'm, the students are working on the drawings, you know, they may have, I walk around the room and take the, test the temperature of the students and how they're doing. And mm -hmm. um, they're having a hard time with this. And, you know, we'll, I'll sit down with them and help them troubleshoot. And I'll say, okay, you got one tone here, but look at all these tones that are in your reference photo. And I said, even if your reference photo is not that great of a photo, sometimes you have to invent other tones you got to be able to yeah. put those tones in make right. it more interesting um you know that reference yeah. photo that that shadow is very flat if you drew that shadow flat in your drawing it's going to look flat so let's uh, right. let's make it a little more interesting um and so it's just a matter of teaching students to see and i've had students where they walk into the class and they do nothing but full color drawings and they walk out of that class now with a, a better insight on how to create uh how to represent the tones that are inside their drawing yeah that now that is um that that's great i mean i i love that the the problem i think a lot of times is um people's their perception um and a lot of times you hear this kind of advice uh just thrown out there here and there like 
oh, don't be afraid to go dark or you need a, a big range in values. Make sure you have a bright and a real dark, dark. But nobody talks about this mid-range value. That's yeah. where the realism is. And yeah. and it's helping a, a student to be able to see that, just like you alluded to there. I love that. That is That is so cool. The process of drawing by subtraction, I, I could see where that can trip people up though quite a bit as well because you're kind of flipping your brain a little bit and you're, well, you you're are. kind of drawing in reverse. I mean, you are. it's tough. Yeah, it is. It's it's tough for some people because it's not the way they work. And, yeah. and unfortunately, because in the graphic design field that I was in all my life, I had to work that way, even to the uh, point where... Um, Going on press runs, um, yeah. I'd go on a press run for Quaker Oats uh, for one of the products that they're printing, one of the cartons that they're printing. And I have to know, as I'm seeing this color proof, how are these colors created? And you you get to know the, the creative process or the creative colors, um, process yeah. colors, the CMYK that create an right. image or create uh, uh, a photo. And you learn how to see, okay, I'm looking on this proof on press. And I see, you know what, you need to put a little more yellow in the midtones here or um, right. limitless. And they used to have like what they call a color key on press site. And it was uh, a stack of transparencies in different colors. So you can see how much oh. yellow or how much black or how much blue gotcha. is actually in, in that photograph. Um, so when I look at photos or I look at you know, my black and white work, I think I look at everything in reverse. I look at it as a process. Um, mm -hmm. When I even was before computers, when I'd have to create a logo and have to create a logo in black and white, but knowing that it's going to, have to be separated into different colors, you have to kind of think everything backwards. Um, and that's <laughs> so your brain the way just thinks like that yeah. now. You've been trained to do that for so long. That's something. Uh, that's really that's really interesting. You know, and and it shows in your work. I mean, I guess that's just something that um, you you gravitate towards because your brain just thinks like that. Now that is that is fascinating. <laughs> I do I do have people commenting to me a lot of times. Uh, do you think you'll go back to working on color? And I'm not going to say yes or no, but I love doing black and white work. Um, I yeah. love the texture that that comes up with uh, in my drawings and and the texture that. I put in the background is all accidental. It I brush it in, it dries. Now That's I have where it is. this background. That's where it is. And, yeah. and what frustrates some of my students is as you're working on this portrait, there may be a brush stroke through the face that, oh, I see this brush stroke the face. It's going to ruin my drawing. No, it's not. Make that brush stroke work. Um, yeah. And I can, I can help you take that brush stroke all the way out. But sometimes you like to have that brush stroke through the feet, the, right. the, the cheek or the nose or the forehead. Um, sometimes you do get a stroke in there that's really heavy that goes through the eye that's kind of distracting. You know, here, I'll show you how to pull it out surgically, like pull that out so you don't <laughs> see it. Um, right. But there'll be times where I'll do a drawing where I'll take that brush stroke and start working that brush stroke back into an arm or, or even the side of a face just ah. to make it interesting. Yeah, a little more textural elements in there to yeah. enjoy that kind of thing. That's that's really cool. And see, and that that's something I guess it would come with time, and just being able to you know look at the um, artistry of the finished product and look at the overall composition to be able to tell if it needs it. I I could see you doing it too much, right? And then it would be yeah 
maybe more distracting, you know. So I'm but guessing I, you learned that. There is, yeah, there is some uh, too much, and then there's also a point where um, I see a lot of you know black and white hyper realistic drawing drawings, mm. uh, and some some artists do, and right. sometimes they're just they're pencil drawings, but they really don't have a total range to them. Um, they're almost like they're just a mid-tone maybe and maybe a dark and that's about it um, yeah yeah one of the things I, I don't want to do with my drawings is i want to have make sure i have contrast in the drawings and i want to make sure there's some texture in the drawings and that's why on the clothing drawings um i'll have some sort of clothing that has a lot of texture to it because i want to be able to bring that out into the drawing because what right. i don't want to do is i don't want to come up with a black and white drawing it looks like a photograph in a newspaper it looks yeah. like a, a half yeah. a half tone um, yeah, I want to be able yeah. to have some contrast. So sometimes right. even with your 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 uh, reference photo, there may not be much contrast in that reference photo um, that you may have to go back in and invent those those contrasts in your drawings to pull to pull things out and make things more interesting. In my mind, sometimes you you can look at something and you say, oh, I can, I can kind of figure out how they how they did that. But in reality, if I went and uh, tried to just do this on my own, just after hearing you talk about the process. It probably would look like a uh, newspaper halftone. <laughs> Just thinking also, about it, I mean, because you're you you think you might know something about it, you know, but I don't know. That that's interesting. I have people call my work hyper realistic, and um, I don't I don't like that word used with my drawings because mm -hmm. I think mine are very realistic um, or photorealistic. They're yeah, representational, right? A bit, but yeah. I don't. But hyperrealistic drawings, some of the ones I see, they're they're just too perfect, and um, it really it's an exercise on technique. And I want mm -hmm. my drawings to be more than just an exercise of of technique. Um, Are you telling a story? And then, yeah, and then when things look just too perfect, yeah. they just they don't really they're it doesn't relate for me. Doesn't excite me. Um, me either. And and I, I I wonder why that is. I I I don't know. Well, I tried I think, to figure that out recently. Like, why why does that not excite me anymore when I see something that's just too perfect? I don't know. I think I, I think people gravitate to realism because that's what people understand and that's what people know. And after yeah. a while, I think when you see all that realism, then you're like, okay, I want something that's, that's going to be different. Something that's yeah. gonna, you know, I, I and that's what I try to do. I try to put that kind of element in my drawing work. Um, right. That texture that I put into the drawings or the brush strokes I put in the faces um, right. is, is my way of getting away from the hyper-realism. It, you know, it actually puts a little more texture, a little more emotion into the drawing um, yeah. by putting those happy little blemishes. A lot of times in, in the background, I may have a streak that I can't get rid of and I'll yeah. keep. And sometimes some of those streaks are uh, happy mistakes um, yeah. that just kind of yeah. work out in the drawing. And sometimes mm. they do, and and sometimes they don't. Right, right. Yeah. Now there, there's just times that I'll I'll see I'll run across something, and um, it's just so flawless, and uh, it'll say, you know, this is, and I, I can't tell if it's a a photo or a drawing or a painting or whatever. It looks like a photo, and uh, it does it's just like you're saying. It does nothing for me. It's just like I just look at it like, okay. I mean. If I saw the photo reference, maybe, and I saw the choices the artist made to create what they did, um, and they didn't just copy the photo, it might stir some kind of emotion in me. But, but yeah, that's um, that's something that just doesn't excite me as much anymore. But when I see something like this, 
And you guys will have to go check out Tracy's website. And we'll have that linked up in the show notes. Um, I think you'll be just very um, excited and motivated to go create some art after you see this. There's, there's something motivating about it, at least for me, when I see artwork that is interesting, that has this textural uh, stuff going on in it. It's it's exciting because uh, there's that realism, but then there's textural stuff. It's very different than what I think anyone else is doing. I don't I don't see anybody else. I don't even know any colored pencil artists that work monochromatically right now. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Do you know anyone, Tracy, that does it? I'm well, not sure. There are a few people that I'll dabble in it. Um, yeah, and they'll go from color to black and white. But I think I'm one of the only yeah. people that I know of that it's, it's strictly black and white and the only one um, I know. And I'm, I'm the only one who actually, I have students actually take this technique and they'll play around with this technique and they'll do some finished pieces in this technique, but I'm really the only one who actually does this technique hundred yeah. percent. And I even to a point where I've trademarked this name. Um, mm. and I went cool. through the whole process good. with lawyers to get a trademark. Oh, um, and it's only trademarked for, a technique and color pencil. Yeah. Um, and I've had people who've, uh, they put together workshops and they were advertising, destroying by subtraction. And I've had to contact them and say, could you call it something else? I don't care if you, do, if you have a workshop and you're doing this type of process, but don't call it drawing by subtraction because it's, it's a trademark name. And I spent yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars right. to make sure that it's, that it's trademarked. Oh, yeah. and, and it, um, I'm, I'm the owner of, of that, of that word. And Very that, interesting. That, I'll have to cancel my my workshop I'm planning in, in the late <laughs> summer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that is that is so cool. Well, good for you. I mean that that's that's good. And I think more artists need to think in that direction, uh, protecting you know what we teach and what we what we yeah. do. If if it's unique enough, I mean, why not? Uh, we do that with intellectual property. Why not do that with uh, something like this as well? And this is intellectual property, really. I I just want to ask you this. If you're talking to a brand new artist, uh, what so what piece of advice would you give them? A color pencil artist, you you don't use a whole lot of tools. It doesn't sound like. I mean, you're you're kind of you kind of stick with what you do. Um, yeah. The same support, the same pencils. What what about a, a brand new color pencil artist coming to the medium? I think they can just start getting lost and drowning in the sea of all the different tools oh, and techniques right. that are out there. You know what I mean? So right. what? What piece of advice would you give someone just starting in color pencil? I would, when I talk to my students in color pencil, it's usually I start them out with a either a twelve count or twenty four count set, nothing bigger than that. And I and I yeah. try to get them to create three and four different colors out of a, cup, a number of colors. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> being in the graphic design business all my life, I know that with CMYK, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Mm -hmm. Just those four colors, you can make every color in the world with those colors. Yeah. It's just a matter right. of knowing how to do it. And and, well, and our printers do it. <laughs> the printers do it, yeah. Yeah. So when I so the color when I have students that are coming to me in, in my colored pencil classes, um, I try to limit their palette and make them yeah. do the work on creating those other colors. And then if there's if they still can't create that color or they want another color um that it's impossible to create, I just can't right. get it. Um, right. I have the whole set that I can, I let them borrow my, my pencils, but yeah. I would have them limit your palette and then also uh -huh. be able to 
draw it in black and white too, even at the point where if you want to draw in black and white first and then do a color drawing after that. But this way it'll force you to learn your, uh, make sure your tones are are in your, your color drawing. And then yeah. also one of the things I tell my students, make it your own. Um, mm -hmm. As everybody else, as all us artists, when we're younger, we're always chasing other artists and trying to right. mimic their style or, or technique. Um, and doing tutorials like crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, tutorial, yeah. But, you know, after a while, when it comes down to it, it has to be your own work and you have right. to enjoy it. And unfortunately, what was happening to me when I was working in color on film, it was a process that I had learned to do color on film. And for me, it was like, it was just, too much regimen it was a, it was it was boring i didn't feel mm. like i was actually getting involved in the drawing mm. this way i in my drawing i really feel like i'm getting physically involved in the drawing it's not a matter of doing lo one little square at a time right uh, it, this way i'm working the whole drawing at once um yeah and i feel like i'm more involved in into the into the process so uh when i'm drawing i'm maybe 90 percent of the time i'm standing up i have a drawing big drawing board and I'm uh -huh. standing up, drawing, stepping back, re reworking Looking some spots. Um, and I'm very seldom, I'm very seldom sitting there on a chair doing the drawing, you know, trying to trying to create one box at a time or one little square at a time of color, because that would just drive <laughs> up a wall. <laughs> Me too. So you're teaching your students not to be formulaic also. You're teaching yeah. them to think and con think in concepts and think of the overall the whole time. I, I love that a lot. Um, wow. But I, in my classes, I will have a, a reference photo for them to start out with. And yeah, one of the drawings that we do is we do a tree frog. And um, at the beginning of the class, I explain to the students what I don't want out of this class is I don't want everybody's tree frog to all look alike. <laughs> and I, because I want you to put your own personality in there. Yeah. Um, the way you hold your pencil, the way that yeah. you see color may be different than the person next to you. But right. I want to make I want that tree frog to be something that you personally connect to. Um, mm. And I think they enjoy that because they don't want to feel like, OK, I work eight hours a day at this job and this is what my boss wants me to do all day long. I have to do it this way or, or I get fired. They want Another to come assignment. into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They want to be able to come into something that's a, a creative environment. Yeah. Um, I will give you what to start out with. I'll give you the parameters to work with. I'll teach you how to use yeah. the pencil correctly. Um, and then how to apply the pencil to the paper. Yeah. But you right. know what, from then on, it's, it's, you, you know, you're on your own. And if you have any questions, just let me know and I'll help you help you through it. But by the time the end of the, uh, drawing, uh, end of the class period, they have come up with a drawing. that's actually personally theirs. Uh, they picked out the colors. They, they created the, the tones. Um, they feel empowered. Yes, and they may and they put in a color that's not even in there. And they can do it again. They can they can yeah. recreate something that they created. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of times these these point and shoot, these paint by number, whatever you want to call them, tutorials uh, help someone in that moment to recreate what that other artist's vision was. But yeah. they have trouble reproducing that on their own. So, do you start with paper? Are they using paper or drafting film? My 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 students are using paper. They'll, they'll start out with paper. a uh, yeah with, with a, a okay. drawing paper or color pencil paper. I don't usually get them into drafting film. Um, yeah, because just paper itself is a whole another animal. And as you were yeah. before, students get so wrapped up in oh my gosh, there's so many different All papers out there. And so many, 
yeah, so right. many techniques and all the all these uh, pencils out there. What do I use? So I try to keep it down to the basic paper and the basic pencil. Um, uh, because fundamentally, they need to learn color and they need to learn how to draw. That's yeah. those are the most important things. Um, one last thing, Tracy. Sorry, I'm keeping you so long. I feel like I can no talk problem. to you for hours. I, I appreciate <laughs> your your patience. No I, I feel like I'm getting a lot out of this and. And we're kind of kindred spirits here. Um, maybe you don't realize it because you've been doing most of the talking, but we uh, we agree on a lot of things here. So what what about the 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 student or or the artist that's listening that they're they're a portrait artist or some other type of artist and they don't have access to a professional uh, photographer studio. They don't have they're not married to a wardrobe stylist. They're not they don't have this vast knowledge that you have that you come to the table with and they don't know Photoshop. They can't do all that pre-planning either with that. What, what would you tell them uh, that they need to maybe focus on to kind of level up in um, their abilities? That's actually a good question. Um, what I've learned um, to get to this point is I didn't wake up one day and decide, okay, I'm going to rent out a photo studio or I'm going to get a makeup artist. What right. I have done is the people that I really truly follow um, in social media, I have a lot of color pencil artists that, of course, I follow because they're friends of mine. I'd love to see what they're right. working on. But the people that I really follow closely are photographers because there's wow. things that photographers do, yeah. the way they they shoot, the way they light. Um, they're what, great what artists. They, use. they really they, are. They're unbelievable artists and there's yeah. one uh particular that i that i work with that um i love her work it's it's so edgy and so i le i learn a lot from photographers the same thing with i'll follow different painters because yeah. i'll want to figure out okay how is how are they portraying this this painting or or mm -hmm. uh this is a different way of showing this or um they're putting a lot of emphasis on these skin tones here but for here yeah. this part here they're blending everything out so i try to figure out you know how photographers work and how painters work too um to be able to bring something new or something extra to my drawing um, right now everybody's not going to have access to a photo studio or access to a hair and makeup artist but you know that they're out there and you have to understand yeah. why the how sometimes that is very important and it may be you do the, the hair yourself or the makeup yourself but you know that that could be an important part of the drawing um there are some artists out there that are charcoal artists that do narrative portraits that come up mm -hmm. with some wacky outfits that, that uh, their models wear. And I don't know, sometimes I don't understand how they or why they put stuff like this together, <laughs> but it works. And it's so edgy and it's so cool. It's like, you know yeah, what? Yeah. That, that's what you have to do. It's sometimes you just have to bring a box full of crap and say, here, we're going to make <laughs> all of this work. Somehow yeah. we're going to make this dress work with this vest, with, with this teddy bear and <laughs> this is going to be the drawing. Somehow we'll make it work. And and I think people are afraid sometimes. I think I think sometimes well, we. I think I think artists sometimes, um, especially if they're new and starting out, they're like, I want to do something a little more edgy, or I want to do something like that. But I, I almost like uh, maybe they're waiting for permission to do something like that. You know what I mean? So here yeah, you I have it, so. folks. Tracy gives yeah. you permission. To do that. Well, I, I think you're. I think you're right. I, I think it's people. They have a hard time doing something totally new or different. Or yeah. okay, I'm gonna waste waste three or four months doing it this way, and if it doesn't work out, I'm out. Well, they may never work. admit it to themselves, though. Either they may never. They're like, oh, that's a little bit out there. I'm just gonna go with this safe flower over here, or something like that. You know. 
I remember uh, I had talked to one artist in the Color Pencil Society, and I won't mention her name, but um, if she's listening to this podcast, you'll know it's her. <clears throat> but um, This ought to be was, good. <laughs> she was showing me some portraits that she had done, and she was doing them in my technique, and I really liked them. They're really nice. But then she's also mm-hmm. showing me some work that she was doing where she was taking still lifes, and she's putting yeah. them underneath a glass table, and she was shooting these still lifes, underneath this that were underneath this glass table and drawing them so they were almost abstract mm. looking and i thought oh my god this is so different it's gorgeous and yeah it's so not a was, profile view of a flower imagine no that. so she was asking me well you know what should i be should i be doing these portraits here or should we doing these still i said no no <laughs> skip this skip this portraits don't be doing portraits yeah. like me you've got something here you know that yeah you've got something unique that's that's going to be you and sure enough she started awesome. doing more of this and started getting accepted into shows and winning oh, awards cool. and, and you know yeah. I, i'm so proud of people like that that right can do something like that and i know what it's like to yeah do the same technique or yeah well if it worked for them the it's got to work for me yeah and it thing. always does it <laughs> But once no. you find something that resonates with your own work or the way the way you work, yeah. and you just kind of go with it, it's it's funny. I I always call this the John Smoko uh, uh, episode, where John Smoko is a color pencil artist, and he yeah. has this unique technique um, right. with using color pencil stick. And yeah, you may scribbled. think it looks you look scribbled, but yeah. you don't realize that he knows exactly where those scribbles are supposed to be. Oh yeah, yeah. His stuff, his stuff. People don't realize that. Um, his stuff is so laid out and so precise that he's got you all fooled. And that's why yeah. he's such a great artist. <laughs> right. And yeah. his, oh, you're when really you see right his work, <laughs> and when you see his work, you know exactly it's John Simulco's work. And that's oh, why I always man. thought I wanted to be like John, where when people looked at my work, they thought, hey, that's Tracy Fry's work. Oh, yeah. I know. yeah. It's so unique. That's his work. Yeah. Um, so I always call that the John Simulco, uh episode of your life or your aha yeah. moment. <laughs> and you and you you're right though, and you can tell just by looking at your work that it is your work. And John Smokel, same thing. It, it and and you can also tell when there's a um you know I don't know what to call a student that uh, created something and it's yeah. not your work, but it's a student of yours. In the same way with John, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm not going to abuse your uh kindness and uh, we'll go ahead and stop the interview i i wish i could uh keep you on here but maybe another time maybe we can maybe we can have you back if that would be awesome if you could do that where would you like for people to reach out if they have questions for you or just go to your website or they they can go to my website it's uh my name tracy frying dot f-a-s-o dot com all right. Great. Thanks so much. And if you didn't have time to write that down, maybe you're busy drawing or you're out on a run or walking the dog or something. Uh, maybe you're six feet apart from a pad of paper and pen. Then we take all the notes for you. You can go over to sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. Tracy, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, really appreciate it. Guys, this is a weekly show. And I, if I haven't told you lately, I really appreciate you listening. Also, just a quick word, uh, in Monthly Sharpener, if you go over to monthly-sharpener.sharpenedartist.com, the video version of this, uh, lightly edited, will be over there. 
So if you're listening to this podcast, the audio form only, just know that there is a version that is uh, videoed and that's available to you, the uh, member circle inside Monthly Sharpener. Again, this is a weekly show. Reach out at any time, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.